Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. As if the McCrispy couldn't get any better, Bacon and Ranch just entered the chat. The Bacon Ranch McCrispy, available at participating McDonald's for a limited time. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Support for the Heel Tough Blog podcast comes from Manscaped, who is the best in men's below-the-belt grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. Look, guys, we've all been there. We've all been trimming. All of a sudden, we clip something we don't want to clip. You don't want to do that. Make sure you take care of your downstairs area, just like the Tar Heels have to make sure they take care of Sam Howell. We don't want to have to put the backup in. And guess what? There's no backup for your balls. So that's why Manscaped has redesigned the electric trimmer. Their Lawnmower 2.0 has proprietary skin-safe technology, so this trimmer won't nick or snag your nuts. That's right, manscaping accidents are finally a thing of the past, and come on guys, don't use the same trimmer on your face that you're using on your balls, let's just be honest, that is disgusting. Manscaped also has the Crop Preserver, an anti-chafing ball deodorant and moisturizer, so you don't have to use any of those powders or whatever, you already put deodorant on your armpits, why not put deodorant on the smelliest part of your body? Right now you can get 20% off plus free shipping with the code BIGHEADS, that's all one word, BIGHEADS at manscaped.com. Always use the right tools for the job, your balls will thank you. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code BIGHEADS at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use the code BIGHEADS to get your Manscaped product today. Davis steps under center. Gibson and McClendon behind it. Davis with motion by Richard. Will get the ball to McClendon. He leaps. Oh, he doesn't get in. He fumbled the football. Carolina holds. The game is over. And Carolina has won the game. Finley to throw. Over the middle. Intercepted. Wolfuck again. Wolfuck the other way. At the 30. The 40. Wolfuck to midfield. Miles Wolfuck with the pick. The heels on the doorstep of an enormous victory. Left side of the line. Hood standing to Williams' is right. Williams going to throw. One-on-one. Davis has it. Touchdown. Carolina wins. Carolina is the Coastal Division champion. Bernard fields it at the 26. Heading to the far side. Gio at the 35. Gio, he's at the 50. No, he's not. Yes, he is. Gio, he's going to take it for a touchdown. Are you kidding me? Connor Barth for the possible win. Snap, spot, kick away, high it up, long it up. It's good! It's good! Carolina has won the game on a 42-yard field goal by freshman Connor Burke. Good gosh, dirty. This is the Heel Tough Blog Podcast. 
guys, and welcome into this edition of the Heel Tough Vlog Podcast. It is Anthony Pagnata back with you guys. As always, Josh Marlowe alongside me. And we are here to recap a Tar Heel victory and their biggest one of the season as the Tar Heels destroyed Mercer 56-7 on Senior Day in Keenan Stadium. And, uh... Well, well, buddy, this was, uh, this was, I guess, kind of what was expected. I don't think anybody was really overly concerned about this Mercer team. And early on, it, it, you know, the Bears showed why. Carolina, 21 points in both the first and second quarter, 42 points in the first half, their most since the 2013 win over Old Dominion, where they scored 49 Really just a complete, completely dominant effort from the Tar Heels uh, from start to finish and pretty much exactly what they needed for you know, to be ready for what's going to be a huge test on Saturday against the NC State Wolfpack. Yeah, the guys came out ready to go, didn't overlook the opponent, uh, didn't let the emotions of senior day in Chapel Hill kind of get to some of the senior guys. And you're right, this offense... Even though it was against an FCS opponent, they were in rhythm. They could do whatever they wanted to do, um, whether it was through the air or on the ground early in the ball game, and that just set the tone. And the defense um, made some plays, got some turnovers, and then really, we talked about and when we previewed the game. They just needed to gain confidence exiting that game, heading to NC State, and I felt like they did that. And I think something that we we didn't mention a lot when we looked at that game was. How would Carolina perform in the red zone in this game? Because we know that the issues that they've had, and they didn't have any problems in the red zone on Saturday, and so they gained confidence in that area. As like you said, they get geared up to go to NC State final game of the regular season. It's going to be emotional um, battle as Carolina tries to get the ball eligibility for the first time in three years. Well, the uh, it was senior day, but the headlines were stolen by some of the young guys. It started, of course, with Sam Howell, who sets the school record, as well as the true freshman touchdown record uh, for uh, touchdown passes in a regular in a season, uh, as he gets to 31, and then eventually 32. Uh, got to 31 with the seven-yard touchdown pass to Jake Vargas in the second quarter. Uh, Mac Brown, of course, uh, came out after the game, said he wasn't too happy with Sam on that play because he had Garrett Walston wide open earlier in the play, but held on to the ball long enough to try to get it to Jake Vargas to get him his first career touchdown. It works out, and uh, he does end up taking over the school record from Mitch Trubisky for touchdown passes in a season. That was uh, 30 from Mitch back in 2016, and then takes over the true freshman touchdown record in NC double a history which was held by trevor lawrence and that was set last year with 30 uh back in 2018 so uh man just what a great way for him to come out An another just fantastic game from him i mean at one point during the game had a 499.8 qbr uh was five for five with three touchdown pass or no five for five with two touchdown passes at the time and then of course uh you know exited didn't have to play the second half but uh, Sam Howell, just again, going through the milestones, and, and this is a big one for him. First year on campus and already setting the school record for touchdown passes in the season. He, he's off to a fantastic start to his career, wouldn't you say? Yeah, I mean, we kind of expected him to break the record in that game once he was sort of closing in on the record, and he wasted no time in, in doing so. 
Um, and look, yeah, he, he's had as special a freshman season as anybody uh, in college football in recent memory. Um, the thing that's different is Carolina's five and six. If this was a eight and three, nine and two football team, there could be legitimate sleeper Heisman discussions about his kind of season because he's just been that good as as, as a rookie. Right. And we, we expected him to have a, a good year uh, once he won the job because we knew from his high school days that he could play. I don't think we thought we'd get this in the first year. And the funny thing is, is he broke he broke the, 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 the passing touchdown records, right? Right. And we vented about Phil Longo being too conservative with his arm for how long. And he still broke the record. So... Exactly. Kind of shows you that that even in, if, if the offense is being limited, uh, he's still going to put up big numbers regardless. So, kind of speaks on the kind of player Sam Howell is now. And then the scary thing is, is that you're, he's only going to get better. Um, he's going to develop over the off season. You, he, he gets a bowl game that's fifteen extra practices. He'll get better there. Mm-hmm. And it's just kind of scary for the ACC what kind of quarterback he can be. Yeah, I mean, not only the fact that Phil Longo was conservative early in the year with his arm, we were also looking at the numbers in the red zone, and I mean, yeah, you know, they've had some success down there. I mean, 15 of his touchdowns have come down in the red zone. Uh, That number, I think, now bumped up to, let's see, the long one to Emory Simmons was 33 yards. The first one was a short. So, uh, now it's at 17, but the other, I mean, out of, out of 32, that means only just just over half have come in the red zone. But really, I mean, he's got 15 touchdowns of 20 yards or, or longer, uh, you know, that throwing the ball through the air. That's, that's ridiculous. I mean, that's just unbelievable. And like you said, I mean, he's only going to get better from here, you would expect. Um, you know, I mean, to come out and, and do it in his first year is, is amazing. And, um, you know, this, this is a guy, I wrote that in, in the article the other day as well, that, you know, we knew when he won the starting job back in August that there was a reason that he won the starting job. He was going to come in and, and, and do some things and open up this offense a little bit more than what we'd seen the last two years. Um, but I don't think anybody was expecting him to come in and be this dynamic. And, I, and I'm with you. I think that, you know, Toriel fans are, are wanting to make the argument that his numbers are, are really that good. Why is he not getting talked about more? I mean, yeah, when you're 5 and 6, you're not really going to get talked about as much. But the thing is, is it's setting up to where he's going to have some Heisman conversation heading into next year. And especially if the Toriels can get off to a good start against Central Florida as well as Auburn, all of a sudden he could be a guy that could be right in the thick of the Heisman conversation, especially if he comes out and has two big games in those games to open the season. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely something to keep an eye on going forward with his progression, and hopefully he does get that bowl game. That would be huge for him. Um, but the other thing is it also helps that his run game is – forming into one of the better ones in the ACC. Tario rushing attack uh, with 376 yards rushing and five touchdowns on the ground against Mercer. Tario's entered the game on Saturday with just four rushing touchdowns the entire season and have more than that in one game against Mercer. Uh, just a, a phenomenal performance led by Michael Carter, who had nine carries on the day but turned that into 159 yards and three touchdowns to lead what was just a lethal Tar Heel rushing attack. And 
I, I mean, this is another unit. We knew they were good coming into the year, but especially if you would have told me that Javante Williams, who was our leading rusher entering the game, was still having some trouble shaking off the injuries and didn't play a whole lot, and you told me that this team ran the ball as well as they did, I probably would have laughed and told you you were definitely lying. Yeah, and I mean, it, it started up front, the offensive line created holes for our dynamic backs to get in to get to. And we know when Michael Carter gets in the open field, he's not going to get caught nine times out of ten. And that was simply the case on Saturday. He just ran away from Mercer. And it was, it was good to see because, like you said, they had four rushing touchdowns all year long. And that was three from Javante Williams. I mean, the other one was from Sam Howell. Yep. And, and, and Carter, you know, Carter feasted with three. Antonio Williams got in on the action. And then even British Brooks in the second half was able to get into the end zone. The firm, as we, you know, we, we've started to call them, had their most complete game of the season. And it couldn't come at a better time because if Carolina's going to win this upcoming Saturday, they're going to have to, they're going to have to be able to run the football effectively. And we, we, we've kind of been waiting for all three guys to be hot. Even Joe mm-hmm. Javante didn't get the amount of reps that he normally gets. When he still touched the ball, was still productive. Mm-hmm. But I think it's cool seeing Antonio Williams these last two games really step up. He didn't have a big role earlier in the year because of the success of Javante. But when the team needed him, he's been able to deliver with two big games. Yeah, and that's something that Mac Brown has mentioned in the past couple of weeks is a guy that just stuck through it all. You know, early, you know, before the season had started, we had heard that he was probably going to be that number three guy. He would get some carries, and this would probably be a three-headed backfield. It really turned into two guys controlling most of the carries, Michael Carter and Javante Williams. And unfortunately for Antonio Williams, he was kind of left on the outside, just occasionally getting some reps when needed especially towards that middle part of the season. But you, you're right. Once Javante Williams got injured in that game against Virginia, you saw that Antonio Williams knew that he had to step, had to step up, and he's played great the last two weeks uh, against Pittsburgh and Mercer, and they're probably going to need him in this game against NC State because, uh, you know, one of the reasons that Javante Williams didn't play that much on Saturday is because, well, of course, they got off to a great start. Michael Carter was having a great day, but also they were wanting to try to get Javante Williams as healthy as they possibly can for that game against NC State. While I do think that he is going to be more healthy than he's been the last two weeks, I don't think he's going to be fully healthy considering that he sustained an ankle injury in the game against Virginia and then sustained an upper body injury in the game against Pittsburgh. So, I mean, look... Coming into this game, you're going to need Antonio Williams one way or another, more than likely. So uh, that's huge. You're right. He's he's stepped up and played very well. And to, for him to score a touchdown on Senior Day was was big because he's a guy that's only been in Chapel Hill for two years. But you feel that for him, Chapel Hill is is a special place. He knew coming out of high school, you know, he probably should have gone there out of the gate instead of going to Ohio State. But uh, you know, I, I think that he's where he needs to be now, and he's performed very well for the Tar Heels down the stretch. And, you know, this is really part of a, a bigger thing, which is that this offense is ready to carry this team against NC State. Because, look, even in this game, you know, there were 
mo for most of the time, Carolina was dominant defensively. You would expect that. But again, the defensive line in the first half didn't have a single sack against the Mercer offensive line. That frankly just isn't that good. Um, so this still looks like a unit that really is, is going to probably have some struggles against NC State on Saturday. And this offense, you know, it looks ready to go, re ready for the challenge of carrying this team to a bowl game. Once again, for the sixth straight game, over 10 yards per completion in the game. I mean, the Tar Heels only threw the football 15 times, but it's still a, a passing attack that is one of the most lethal right now in all of college football. Then you factor in just how well the Tar Heels are running the football. I mean, at this point, it, it seems like this, this offense is, is ready to carry this team where they need to go, and that's to a bowl game, um, You know, hopefully with a win against NC State, right? Yeah, I think this offense has finally formed into what Mac Brown envisioned in the preseason when he said, you know, we want to be the Oklahoma of the ACC, which I think, you know, we kind of overreacted to that because of what Oklahoma has done on offense since Lincoln Riley took over there in Norman. Right. But look at what they're doing. They, they've they been able to run the ball against teams that you don't think you'd run the ball against. They were able to run the ball against Virginia. Pittsburgh, who had very good uh, run defenses, and they've been able to throw the ball out, uh, down the field all year long, and and now some of the intermediate stuff is clicking for Sam Howell and those receivers, and now this offense can put 450 yards up at will and can get you into the 28 to 35 point range week in, week out, and that's most weeks going to win you a lot of football games. Um and, and that's what Carolina is. The, the strength of this team this year is on offense. Um, and it, it, it may always will be with Sam Howell at quarterback. And just like you said, it's, if they're going to make a bowl game because they're going to they're gonna outscore opponents this year because the defense is just – they're that beat up. And they're in a new scheme that is harder to learn as opposed to a new offensive scheme. That's just the nature of, of what of what the team is built like for this year. Um but I think I think we expected that. I don't think we got, I don't think we did not get anything we did not expect from Carolina this year, and, and that's why they're at five and six. And I mean, to a lot of people, they've overachieved. They're ahead of schedule, and if you can get a bowl game, it's not. A, I mean, look, winning bowl games, stuff like that. I, I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago. You get those extra ten to fifteen practices. That that's going to do wonders for a lot of guys. On especially thinking the guys that are redshirting. And even Sam Howell, some other guys, just four reps in the system is only going to pay dividends going into next year. That was one of the big things that when I had my interview with Brant Wilkerson new uh, earlier last week, he brought up, which was the practices. And it's definitely going to be huge for you know a lot of the guys that are going to be taking over significant spots on the defensive line in place of Jason Strobridge and Aaron Crawford in the secondary in place of Miles Dorn. That's where it's going to be really big for a lot of those guys, where you're going to have a chance to even get a jump start on finding some of those replacements for the guys that are going to be moving on and graduating or heading to the NFL. Uh, I, I think you're right. And, you know, this offense, the only real concern is the red zone offense. But even still, I mean, they looked about as good as they've looked all season. Now, you would expect that against Mercer. But it was really more of the play calling that we saw that was encouraging. Um, the throw from Sam Howell that 
gave him the school record and, and uh, true freshman touchdown record. Love the play call where you're you're getting your your tight ends to go uh, you know across the field and try to get these linebackers and safeties having to move across the field and setting those natural picks that you were kind of talking about last week when we were talking about the red zone offense heading into this game. So I think that there's a lot of encouraging things about this offense as long as they can score in the red zone on Saturday like they need to instead of having to kick those field goals that I think have come back to hurt them at times this year because they just can't you know, establish enough space in between teams if they're leading early in games or find a way to claw a little bit closer if they're trailing in games. I think that'll be really big for this team against NC State. Um, the, you know, w- one of the other big storylines that needs to be talked about is again, look, Senior Day was headlined by you know by all the seniors that were leaving, or the guys that there, there are a couple other guys like Greg Ross and Jake Lawler who will leave early, but really the guys that shined were the young guns. Uh, I mean, you look at a guy like Raymond Velasic who won Defensive Player of the Week for the Tar Heels, five total tackles, two tackles for loss, and a sack. Really responded well to not getting the start. Jaleel Taylor actually started at what is considered the four-eye defensive end technique, which is sort of a hybrid defensive tackle, defensive end spot, basically where they had started Jason Strobridge all year. They kicked Jason Strobridge out to a more natural defensive end position for him, and I thought he looked very good out there. Only finished with one tackle, but I, I didn't. I, I thought he had more than that. He looked to be all over the field early in the game, made a couple of really good plays. But Raymond Velasic was a guy that subbed in, and when he was in the game, played really well, not only in the second half, but in the first half as well, and was real dominant. Uh, you look at guys like Eugene Asante, eight total tackles in the middle, uh, taking over for Chad Surratt after he had a great start and reached the 100 total tackle mark on the season. Kadri Jackson next to him at linebacker with six total tackles. And then on offense, really great performances. Josh, Josh Henderson getting his first substantial offensive reps. 13 carries, 98 yards in the second half. He's going to be a guy that with Antonio Williams graduating, he's going to have a great chance to come in and take over that number three running back role behind Javante Williams and Michael Carter, which will still be a big role on that team next year uh, with the amount of work that these guys have seen this year and we'll see next year. They're going to need that, that, that third guy in there. And Henderson gets a leg up with a great performance. Emory Simmons gets his first career touchdown reception uh, with a 33-yard touchdown pass from his roommate, uh, Sam Howell. Uh, played substantial snaps for the first time really all season, and he's a guy that looks the part of, of a guy that's going to be able to come in and contribute next year. So, I mean, the young guns on, on both sides of the ball flashing, I mean, that's extremely encouraging for this team uh, going forward, uh, especially with some of the guys that they're going to end up losing uh, heading into next year. Yeah, it's just the reason why the future of this program is as bright and why fans are so optimistic as we head into next year is because, yeah, we're, we're losing, you know, some guys, Aaron Crawford, Jason Strobridge, uh, you know, on the defensive line, uh, Charlie Heck, maybe on offense. But we know that there's talent, uh, you know, in the cupboard, I guess, and that Mac Brown's going to recruit talent to replace what we're going to lose and then years past, we didn't have the same kind of optimism when this kind of situation happened. And it's, it's good seeing those guys make some plays because you have a little bit more confidence in them. 
when they when they get in game situations to make plays. Even though it's still Mercer for those guys, it's their first extensive game action, mm-hmm. and we haven't seen them do anything productive because we're not at practice. But now we got to see them go out there and make plays. And now, if something happens or of an injury, which we've seen, uh, been able to you know it riddle this team. Oh, well, now we got this guy that can go in there and he can make plays. And it'll be you know fun to see those guys grow next year when they're in more uh, extensive playing roles. Yeah, and I, the other thing is, is if anybody's really saying, well, you know, they were dominant against Mercer, let's see them, um, you know, be, be dominant against another team. I mean, these guys look the part of, of guys that, you know, are, are going to play significant roles against an FCS team where they were just so much better than the guys on the other side of the ball, so much more athletic, able to make those tackles in space with ease. That's the type of stuff that you're looking for from, from a lot of these guys. Is for you know if, if they're going to be big time players, they're going to come out and in these opportunities they're going to dominate. And those guys that we just talked about all really all had came out and had really great performances. The best part as well, all of those guys that we mentioned, they are all true freshmen. So expect them to have much bigger roles next year uh, for this Tariel team. The last thing that we'll talk about before we shut down uh, the Mercer recap edition of the podcast. There were a couple of fans afterwards that were very critical. A couple of people, uh, also media members as well. Tommy Ashley of Inside Carolina, very critical of the crowd uh, not showing up for the game against Mercer. Uh, very, again, they announced the attendance at, at, at 50,000. Not even close. Not even close. That's, again, just ticket sales. The game was sold out. But um, I, I think what someone said was that it, it ended up being around 18,000 was the rough estimate of people there, and of course, um, during his Monday press conference, Mac Brown did voice uh, some of his concerns about uh, what you know the the crowd on Saturday uh, wasn't too happy with the fact that Toriel fans didn't venture out. Um, you know, I mean, I I think that you know there's there's two real sides to this. There were a lot of people that were saying, you know, look, calm down. It's a game against Mercer. It was raining. Um, you know, this this is a, a game that you would expect not a lot of people to be at. If this was a conference game, there would have been a lot more people there. And then the other side of it is that people are saying, well, if we're a real, if we're trying to become an actual football powerhouse like we think we can be, like this sleeping giant that we've been telling people that we can be, we need to show up for every single game, even games like this. Where do you stand on this argument of, you know, not showing up to a game against an FCS opponent in the rain. Uh, yeah, Mac Brown talked about the fans. He can talk to me directly. Um, I would have not gone to the game. I, I told you that uh, up front. I would never go to a game like that because the game's going to be over in the first quarter, second quarter at the, at the least. I'm not going to say it's a waste of time. But if you know, if, if you're a college football junkie, if, if you go to that game, you're missing Ohio State, Penn State, which has big ramifications in the college football playoff. Uh, Georgia, uh, Texas A&M was a big game in the SEC, and then let's factor in that it was going to be cold and rainy. I I think Mac may have been wrong to call the fans out in that situation, just because like they've been great all year. And you expect them to come sit out in the cold, wet rain and watch you blow out a team that shouldn't even be on the same field as you? It, it, I understand why they got to play the game. I know they're looking into moving that game up into the year 
Um, but there's there's reasons why people don't show up to that game. I mean, it's it's effectively a waste of time, other than the fact that you know you're going to guarantee you get to see your team win. Well, you're I... not going to learn anything about your team in those kind of games. There's not going to be an environment because the game's going to be over relatively early. You you play the game so you help the little guys still stay funded. And more importantly, look at what Carolina's at this year. You're four and six. You win this game. Now you still have a chance to make a bowl game. That's why the game's there. And and that's okay. Just don't get don't freak out when people don't show up. Right. Well, I, I get I get what you're saying. Uh, the argument against it is. You know, these it, it is senior day. This is, uh, you know, uh, no matter who it is, uh, each year a, a, a group of seniors deserves to be sent out the right way. Um, you can complain about, you know, the opponent, but, I mean, look, you know, the, you don't know what what's going to happen when you show up. I mean, if you're taking the FCS mindset to it, you wouldn't have shown up for the game against Liberty back in 2014, and that turned out to be a lot closer of a game, especially earlier on, uh, than we thought. So you, I mean, that's that's the argument really against it. Um, you know, the the rain argument I get uh, against an opponent like like Mercer, it, may, it makes a little more sense why people weren't there. Um, you know, I mean, look, if it's a conference game, I think you probably should be there, no doubt, because. I mean, you know, look, we've seen in the past, I mean, games like the Virginia Tech game back in 2016, we went to that and it it, it was in a hurricane. So, um, you know, I, I understand where, where some of the frustrations are at because, you know, I think that, I, I, I don't know if it's the fact that there weren't a lot of people there. I think it's the, the, the thinking that, you know, we saw this one game with, with bad weather conditions, you know, we we've seen what has happened in the past couple of years, where the the, the crowds have just d- been terrible for every single game of the season. I think that you know trying to change the culture and and you know this is only one setback. I, I think that's the the biggest thing, and that you know everybody had saw all season how successful you know having these great crowds out there was. Um, they just don't want to go back to you know what we saw the last couple of seasons. I don't think that's going to happen, and I don't think that anybody should think that's going to happen based on the crowd that turned out on Saturday, but. Um, yeah, I think, you know, I, I can understand where people are coming from, voicing their frustrations a little bit. Um, but at the same time, I mean, it makes it makes a little bit of sense why there weren't a ton of people uh, at the game, especially based on uh, the weather conditions and, and the opponent. Uh, the good news is, is that next year won't have to worry about that. The latest non-conference game that they'll play was actually just announced today. That'll be against UConn, and that'll be on November 7th. Uh, so that will not be Ed, that will not be the last uh, home game of the regular season. It will be a conference opponent, more than likely a division opponent. And uh, if Carolina is at is is where we expect them to be at at that time in the ACC Coastal race, that game will be a lot more crucial for Carolina, and uh, the environment will hopefully be a, a lot better. So that's going to wrap it up for this edition of the Heel Tough Blog Podcast and this Mercer recap. Uh, as you guys know, the Tar Heels now sit at 5-6 and six on the season, and so they will get prepared for NC State. Uh, that game will be on the ACC Network uh, 
on Saturday. And, of course, we'll have you prepared with the uh, NC State preview here on the Heel Tough Blog Podcast. So make sure you guys check that out. Of course, we have everything that you need from the Mercer game on HeelToughBlog.com. You can go back and check out the Mercer recap, the four things that we learned from the game against Mercer, as well as the stock report. See the guys that are trending up uh, heading into this game against NC State. A lot of new names on there as well. Some guys that didn't get a lot of playing time throughout the year making their debuts on the stock report. And then, of course, we will have the trench report coming out for you as well on that game. And then we'll wrap it all up and uh, head on to the NC State game. We'll have that preview coming out for you guys. Uh, later in the week, that one will be out uh, either Friday or Saturday. Just kind of depends on what the work schedule looks like. But we'll have that out for you guys so you can make sure that you're prepared for everything uh, when we get ready to take on NC State as we look to go to a bowl game for the first time since 2016. So want to thank Josh for stopping by and doing this recap podcast with us. want to thank you guys for listening. And as always, go Tar Heels! <laughs>